This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on Studios America, Robbie Suave swings by the studio to explain why advancing technology and Facebook aren't as terrifying as they might seem. Elon Musk takes a page from the Glenn Beck playbook as he plans to move Tesla to Texas, and the fight to silence people on the right rages on. We'll look at the latest as we do conservative censorship. Stu does America. So much going on in the conservative censorship world. Might I remind you to subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. That's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you save 10 bucks when you do that. And it's so important that we get, a, get an army together, get a group together that can protect actual free speech in this country. Google uh, and YouTube are going, going to prohibit ads and monetization now on climate denial content. Now, this is a slippery slope, as we know. And we've seen this happen with other areas. We saw people like Alex Jones get deplatformed. We've seen content uh, like um, misgendering people uh, is not allowed and gets people kicked offline. We've seen uh, recently, we talked about it, uh, I believe it was last week, when they banned a bunch of accounts that were anti-vax accounts. And all of this is wrong, okay? Taking people's view off the internet in almost every single case is idiotic. And honestly, there's not many cases outside of actual crimes being committed, like trying to, uh, you know, uh, harass someone uh, in, in, a, in a particular fashion uh, that might be able to be removed. But other than that, there's not a lot that should be removed uh, from these services. And what's odd about this is it's the harassment that stays. They leave, they, they'll take off all sorts of stuff they don't agree with, but when you're harassing someone, when you're making their lives miserable, when you're posting pictures of their children on the internet, seems to fly by most of the time without too much problem. Uh, what Google and, and YouTube are trying to do here is take down climate denial content. And if you want to give the best possible reading on this, you could look at something like when they did this with anti-vaxxers, they used a specific example. And they said, when we see information that's going to hurt people's health, we're going to take it down. And the example they used was, apparently, there are people out there that post videos about how drinking turpentine will make your illnesses go away. Now, drinking turpentine will not make your illnesses go away. And if you drink turpentine, you're probably going to get very sick or die. So at least there's some sort of string there where you can kind of understand it. And I guess if you really want to stretch that and you really want to be certain of yourself, you can say, well, OK, maybe people who don't put vaccine misinformation, what they deem to, that to be online, or if you put up pro ivermectin stuff, that's other stuff that's been you know, banned online, maybe that should be um, uh, censored too. And I don't agree with that at all, but at least there's some sort of coherent case for it, at least with turpentine there is. So uh, maybe there's something you can come up with here. I don't agree with it, however. But when you're going to climate denial activity, 
What you're basically saying is we have an important debate where trillions of dollars will be spent and restrictions on our economy will be spread all over the place. And you're going to eliminate one of the two available views, one side of the aisle completely. You're just going to take them off of YouTube. Don't let them make money. It starts slow like this. They're going to first just demonetize. They'll first just say it's, you know, it's really extreme. Like you're calling it a hoax or you're, you know, it's some conspiracy theory. But it all ends up in the same place. Censorship is wrong all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe that all voices uh, should be able to be heard and that, I don't know, smart adults should be able to look at this and make their own decisions. And if we make a bunch of dumb decisions in a row, it's kind of on us. That's kind of how I think the world should work. Even if it, even if it ends uh, in, a, in a way that we don't like, it should be the situation where we have more voices and we get to decipher on our own what, who's right and who's wrong. It takes a while, but America usually gets there. That's kind of how this works. So I think when conservatives look at this, it, it, they get really upset, uh, rightly so. And there's a temptation to regulate. There's a temptation to shut it down and break these companies up. There's a temptation to, frankly, panic right over this. Should we panic, though? Robbie Swabe has a new book. It's called Tech Panic. We're going to look at his view coming up in just a second. Samantha from Arcadia, California, is raving about her remarkable results with Shamani. She says, I love GenuCell plant stem cell therapy. I've used it all over my face, under my eyes. It's cleared up the flakiness, even reduced my forehead lines. And someone even asked if I had work done. Nope, just GenuCell by Shamani. This is like the top of skincare products, basically. Fine lines, forehead wrinkles, dark spots, bags, puffiness under your eyes. All these issues, you might be looking in the mirror and you're thinking, ah, I wish I could improve that. It's not always easy to do unless you have Shamani. And the best thing about Shamani and GenuCell is that results are guaranteed as little as 12 hours or you get your money back. So you're not risking anything. They're, gonna, they're that confident in their product. There's over a million GenuCell products sold, and every company has tried to duplicate them you know, in the skincare world, and it hasn't worked so far. Uh, it's for both men and women. It's a great gift as well. I give it to my mom uh, for uh, many holidays over the year, and because she loves it. She always asks for more. Get 50% off their most popular packages right now if you go to lovegenucell.com slash stew for 50% off. These are the customer favorites, L-O-V-E-G-E-N-U. CEL.com slash stew. Lovegenucell.com slash stew. Get 50% off your order today. All orders are upgraded to free priority shipping from our friends at Genucell. It's lovegenucell.com. So happy to welcome back Robbie Suave to the program in person for the first time in all of these years. Uh, he's senior editor for Reason.com, author of the new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future. It's available now wherever you get your books, so make sure to pick up a copy. We'll tweet a link to it as well. Robbie, great to see you, man, in person. Great to be here in person. I'm having fun. You've escaped Washington, D.C. <laughs> the dystopia. I could not be happier to be away from it, even for 24 hours. You know, how much have you traveled in this whole pandemic? I've started doing a good amount of traveling and I you know I was over the 14 days to slow the spread about 14 days <laughs> yeah, after the yeah. way they initially promised us yes. so I, I've not shied away from doing things and going places but DC is about the most 
oppressively pro-COVID mitigation strategies of anywhere on earth. <laughs> Before we get into uh, into your book, what's it what's it like? What does it feel like in Texas? Is it is it shocking to someone it who lives is in DC? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was the same over the summer. I yeah. went back to my hometown, it, it, suburbs of Detroit, mm -hmm. Michigan, which is you know moderately blue state, sure. and even there, it was far more normal yeah. than it is in DC. It's the you know the liberal bubble city enclave that's yeah. so bad. Yeah, yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about, I think, a few cities that are really still nuts. But I, you know, I, when I really think about it, this is largely back to normal, with the exception of a few employees wearing masks, because obviously right. employees have to wear masks, because that's how COVID works. Right. It only transmits from employees. But wealthy celebrities at award yeah. shows, entertainment <laughs> totally galas, fine. no, 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 they, they, they're immune. The rules are for you, not yes, for them. Not Just for, them. for you. Um, I don't want to get banned uh, from YouTube for saying these types of things. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, this true. could happen. That's true. Um, your book is, is a really interesting one, and and, you know, you're, you're flying sort of in, in the middle of a really big debate mm -hmm. and conversation right now. We obviously had the Facebook testimony this week. Um, and we, we have a story today. Uh, I mentioned Google and YouTube are prohibiting ads and monetization on uh, climate denial content, which what they believe is climate sure. denial content. This sort of crackdown on, on speech uh, combined with what, what's going on with Facebook, where this research comes out. Uh, internal research seems to show some real problems with kids on Instagram and Facebook. So let's start there. I think as a parent, it freaks me out. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like um, uh, the whole free range kids movement. Yep. I totally believe that intellectually. <laughs> and then I have kids and every time they walk out of my sight, I freak out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of what's going on here. Um, is this different than past uh, freak out sessions from parents on different new technologies? I don't think it's different at all, but mm. in being similar to them, that doesn't mean there's nothing to it. That doesn't mean there's no harm whatsoever. I'm sure that some kids have had a negative experience on social media. Sure. But we always have to compare it to other things. Like teenagers, it's tough being a teenager. School is miserable right. for most. I bet most teenage girls would say they're bullied and harassed and mm -hmm. hate their lives in school. We're not talking about abolishing school. Maybe we should. Right, <laughs> yeah. Different libertarian yes. idea. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I see a lot of, uh, I I'm concerned. I think parents would be well advised to limit the time their kids spend on social media to the extent that's possible. I'm not a parent. I aspire to be a parent someday. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how, maybe parents will tell me this is harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fine, I accept that, mm -hmm. but they should try. But I think even at looking at the data, it's not, it's not as alarming as the whistleblower made it sound, as the, the members of Congress are going on about it. Yes, we're, we're seeing that a, a minority of teenage girls were reporting feelings of depression from using this, although they could also get that from looking at magazines or seeing supermodels on TV or any other sort of thing. I think on net, I bet social media is still positive for teenagers. If, mm. if you look at some of the numbers, I think that the teenagers who use it the most, way too much, they're depressed because of it. But also the ones who don't use it at all are depressed because they're not, they don't have friends that they're interacting with. Mm, okay. there's, there's like probably some majority in the middle who use social media a reasonable amount, maybe a little bit too much, and they have some negative experience with it, but they also have a lot of positive experiences with it because that's how they're talking to their friends, especially in the middle of the pandemic. We told these kids, we ordered these kids, don't see your friends, don't play sports, yeah. stay in your bedrooms all day, and, I, and that's horrible. It's probably better that they had social media, at least, to make that experience a little less miserable. I mean, certainly going through that period, I mean, they would have lost contact. I mean, you know, God, yeah. how much, you know, you saw Zoom stock go by 5,000% 5, 5, in that period. Um, I think, like, we, maybe we focus too much on the negative when it comes to social media. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it just inherently. I, I'm not a fan of it. 
However, I don't, you know, I, these things do get overblown often. I went through, I went through the video game thing, right, where yeah. everyone was saying the violent video games were terrible. Of course, I was at home, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto and running over prostitutes right, right. on the side of the road <laughs> right. uh, while I, that was going on. And it never felt like that was real. It didn't really lead. And it didn't cause any uptick in, there were no teenagers going out and doing that because of that. I've actually, I actually suspect, I've looked at some of the research that supports this, Right. This panic is almost so violent victims probably make for the small minority of young people who are actually inclined to violence. Mm -hmm. It's probably an outlet for their violence instead of going out and committing real violence. Right. Violent video games probably deter violence yes. if they have so, any impact. So parents out there, make sure you get your kids on violent Get them video off games Instagram right and playing Grand Theft Auto instead. <laughs> exactly. Right away. Right away. Um, so let's go to some of the complaints about uh, yeah. social media. Uh, and we'll, let me start with one on the left. This is inherently, uh, immediately dismissed by most people on the right. But the people on the left really believe it. That in 2016, Russians uh, came into the election process and not only attempted to screw with us, which I think that there's some evidence there, mm -hmm. but also overturned the election in favor of Donald Trump. You looked into this in the book. What did you find? There's no doubt they made an attempt to screw with us, as mm -hmm. you just put it. But there's zero evidence that it amounted to anything right. statistically that matters in any way. And also a lot of the claims at the time, there were things like Cambridge Analytica and, and yes. they had obtained all this Facebook data and they used it to directly market to people, except they didn't. They were overstating their claims. None of that is true. So that whole narrative is false. Really? Because they were essentially bragging. Right. They were bragging about their manipulative, their power over the mind, their power right. of persuasion. It actually it's similar to in the uh, in the 60s advertisers. Remember the hidden persuaders, the subliminal messaging. Yeah. yeah. There was a, this idea you could put subliminal messages in advertisements and you could you know, you'd see an advertisement. It would make you want to do something or buy something, except it's false. Advertisers actually knew that that was made up. Yeah. That's not a thing that's real. There's mind control is not real. So well, it's a little bit like that. It seemed really thin when you looked at, like, they were like, they spent $15,000 on a Facebook ad. And I was like, I, and Hillary Clinton spent hundreds of millions. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't understand how these things would balance out. Um, one of the interesting things you do in the book, though, is look back at these. I mean, the book is called Tech Panic, and um, it, it goes back to, you know, obviously, you're talking about moral panics, and yeah. you're, you're making that uh, comparison. People don't, I don't think, people might realize one or two of these, but you trace it way back. Yeah. Go, go, through, go through some of these for us. Yeah, right. We remember video games. Mm -hmm. um, we remember, but, but I looked at the radio. The radio coming out really? was this major source of consternation for newspapers because newspapers are a competitor to radio. They didn't <laughs> want radio to take off. I mean, that's the subtext of my book is that the traditional media has fought every, every mm. innovation in the communication space because they've seen it as a threat. They now see social media as a threat. Yeah, but yeah, they, they warned about radio. Car radios were going to be the end of the world. Um, like there's all these New York Times articles about how the phonograph was bad, how yeah. <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell's inventions were, were, were terrible. Um, it's uh, it, you these go even all further. Seem, it's these so all seem funny. funny looking back, but yeah. they all they were felt real. real at that time, right? They I mean, were the, real. Yeah, this, like, I remember rock music lyrics, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Al Gore and Tipper Gore back in the day. They had that one. Um, you go back to even the printed word. Yeah, that was the controversy. The, the printing press. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to have. And, and you know what? The mm. printing press did have major societal impact. Right. It, yeah. it helped cause the Protestant Reformation. It, it led to some social upheaval, but also also good things. Also right. modernity, also yeah. modern society, the Enlightenment <laughs> yeah. made uh, made the it made the spread of, of good ideas possible. It also made the spread of bad ideas possible. But and that's actually a metaphor, I think, for social media, which has allowed the spread of a lot more ideas that the traditional media cannot control. 
Some of those ideas are bad, but a lot of them are good, and a lot of them are outside the scope of what the New York Times or CNN or whatever would want you to discuss. And I actually see that as a good thing. I see that as a thing that benefits conservative media in particular, or alternative media, mm. libertarians, e nonconformists, even probably people on the far left. Yeah. People who are not inside the mainstream media's bubble have benefited from social media, which is why I'm very... Uh, uh, reticent to 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 endorse any kind of intervention or strategy that will harm social media because we actually, despite the considerable problems, we have it a lot better now than we used to. Yeah, it's, it, and I think conservatives used to talk about it like that often and yeah. say like, you know, there used to be just Wal Walter Cronkite or the, or the three networks, and now we can break through and get these stories out. And it seems like once we got reliant on this mm -hmm. stuff, every little piece of it began to piss us off. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know I don't know how else to say that. Um, let me talk about a couple of other things on this though. And part of this is it is related to cancel culture basically. Mm -hmm. And this term, you've covered it quite a bit. We've talked about it before. You know, I, I keep thinking of, of of these people, it seems like every piece of internet content at this point is something happening terrible at a dog park. <laughs> like I don't know why that's a thing. But like we saw this with the woman at the dog park. Yep. She gets canceled, she gets removed, she literally left the country. And we got that story, and I mean we, but the media got that story completely wrong. Yeah. Um, it, I'm not even sure which of the two dog park stories you're yeah, referring right, to yeah. now. <laughs> I, both of them, I think. Both of these yeah. big dog park stories yeah. where the woman gets fired because she's supposedly racist, and it kind of turns out that there's way more to the story more at the, the story. very least. Um, these sorts of moments where uh, we take people, a lot of times not even public figures, and destroy them for our own entertainment. I see that and I just can't, I, I panic. I go into tech panic when I see that because I think it's just bringing out the absolute worst in us. Social media has, uh, has facilitated cancel culture. There's no way around it. This is a negative impact that social media has had. No, there's mm -hmm. no way to get around that. That's true. Mm -hmm. Because uh, altercations between people that, I, that have always happened, that have happened throughout all of time, there's now a greater likelihood that they're going to be recorded. And there's also a greater likelihood that things you say that were insensitive or stupid when you were younger, when mm -hmm. you didn't know better, what the case for all of us yes. <laughs> were there sometime. Oh, yeah. But when you and I were in school, when we were younger and likely to say and do stupid things, <laughs> there was no one recording it. It wasn't in a text. It wasn't in a, it, it wasn't, a copy of it was yeah. not being preserved. Yeah. That is the case for today's young people. And though, so there's a copy that exists to get them in trouble later in life. And that is because of the technology and it's a bad thing. But even so, even that acknowledging that mm -hmm. this is still people doing this. This is still this is a tool. It's still being used by people. There'd be no there'd be no mob without people. There'd be no right. it, like it's an actual person behind every one of these cancel campaigns to do yeah. the canceling. So we we it's still on us to fix it. Right. I want to get into what we do about it here in a second. Let me give you this. This is from uh, uh, Ross Douthat uh, in the mm -hmm. New York Times. This is the other day. He wrote, Instagram is adult entertainment was his column. He wrote, libertarians' arguments in this case boil down to the idea that if you have a novel, obviously addictive technology that might well be associated with depression, narcissism, and self-harm, you need to wait for absolute certainty that these in that association before you start thinking about limits on how to use it. Because once upon a time, there was a moral panic about comic books and wasn't that embarrassing. Perhaps I've buried my 13-year-old self too deeply, but I am not convinced. I feel like he's targeting you with yeah, his columns. Yeah, yeah, and I respect Ross a lot. I, I mm. like a great deal of his columns. Uh, but no, I would want to be very certain that it was, that it was having this major societal harm. The way the senators are talking about it, they, they referenced big tobacco 80,000 times yeah, yeah. at the... 
Big Tobacco has killed millions of people. How many people has Instagram killed again? <laughs> How many people can we credibly say are dead because of Instagram? It's going to be a small number. Yes. So, like, let's slow down here. And also, I'm, I'm kind of averse to the idea that because something is addictive for some people or misused by some people, that it should be banned for all people. Mm. Um, I, I, that's true of, I, I feel that way about alcohol. I feel that way about gambling. I feel that way about drugs in general. Um, I don't think the, the fact that some, some people certainly misuse these things and should not use them. Sure. But I don't think government policy should be should devolve to the most compromised individual. I mean, I feel that way about the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I'm not going to make rules for everyone based on a few people's needs. So maybe and also I don't think there needs to be a rule here. Parents should be empowered, empowered to limit their kids social media time. If we want to encourage these companies to develop features or to fix how addictive it is for young people or to put some limits on what young people can do on it, fine, I support that. We should encourage them to do that instead of regulation. But it still does feel like a little bit of a panic to me at this point. Okay, I want to get into uh, the what we can do about it, yeah. what, what, particularly on the conservative side, the approaches uh, that a lot of people on the right, I, I think, have kind of newly adopted mm -hmm. uh, because they're so freaked out about this. I want to get into that in a second. More with Robbie Suave in just a minute. There's so much going on in the world today, whether it's stuff you're excited about or stuff you'd rather not think about under any circumstances. You can't always control the vibes out there, but you can control the vibes in your head with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ear holes. Yes, Raycon, they're awesome. The ones I have fit flush to your ear, so you, know, you put your head down on a pillow, you can wear them completely comfortably. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They have a new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead of just being completely uh, in the vibe of the music or the podcast or whatever you're listening to. Raycons also offer eight hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. There's also a built-in mic, so you can take calls on your earbuds at a press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. They're great, and they come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. Now, they can't guarantee your happiness for the rest of the stuff going on in the world. I don't think that's part of the guarantee, uh, but they can guarantee your happiness with Raycons, and they're going to be able to do that because Raycons are fantastic. Uh, right now, Studios America listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash stew, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash stew. You'll save 15% off your Raycon earbuds, buyraycon.com slash stew. We're back with more with Robbie Suave, senior editor of Reason.com and author of Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook in the Future. Is it okay if I just don't like Facebook? I'm not as scared of it, but I don't uh, like it. That's one of the reasons not to fear it is nobody likes it anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, yeah. it looks like a dying star to me. Uh, I mean, it's still a very big, powerful, wealthy sure. company, but it can't attract new young users. Yeah, kids, It's not popular with kids anymore. That's one of the arguments people make here. And yeah. the left makes it a lot. Elizabeth Warren makes it a lot. But the right makes it a lot, too. These companies are too big, too powerful. They're never going to be overturned. And they control... Uh, you know, they have a monopoly power here, controlling the, the flow of information. Uh, the left would argue uh, with conspiracy theories on the right. The right would argue that it's all left wing information. Uh, is, you know, what, what, what do we what can we say to people who say it's just too big? I mean, uh, well, to people who say it's too big, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it is big if you just like hate something for being reasonably <laughs> successful right. and, 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 and reasonably big and making its user base happy that I don't know what to say to you. I get you just like hate capitalism at right. some point. 
Um, if you you mean big as in dangerous, I mean, I talked about why I don't actually think the, the claims that it influenced the election and ruined our democracy are true. So then I just don't see, I, I, I don't know that it has the staying power that people think it does. We've been through so many, uh, so many turnovers in the tech space of something being seemingly dominant and then being gone when it just stops being popular. Because it did seem like MySpace was never going away at one point. And then it was dead. And then it was dead. It's dead. And, but, it, you know, something like Google, right? Yeah. And I, I talk to people and they say, look, Google, with just a couple tweaks of an algorithm, we've talked to, you know, people who've looked into this and, and researched it. And if they decided to send out alerts to uh, only Democrats that it's time to vote tomorrow, right. that might move hundreds of votes. And in a close election, that can make a big difference. Giving these, uh, letting these companies with no real regulation all this power is a real problem. You think True? so? True. I, I don't, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I, they could do something... If they did that, they would be, we would yell at them, right? They right. would be called out. But after the election was over, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there, there's the, the Hunter Biden story, right? right. Hunter Biden, went, you know, the whole laptop thing, HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. You go there and you have this, uh, they, they ban the nation's oldest newspaper yeah. from posting their own links. Um, now, look, they did apologize for that. They, yeah. they said it was wrong, right? But, you know, the impact was there and the story at some level was, was uh, suppressed. Arguably. So this was a terrible call they made. They said it was a terrible call. Mm -hmm. But I actually disagree. I think the actions they took guaranteed that the story got even more attention. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we did all talk about you it. You literally you couldn't tweet the literal link to the story. Very bad. But you could still talk about the story mm -hmm. and you could talk about the, the fact that the story was being suppressed. Mm -hmm. So then there's all this art, all these articles, all this conversation about how big tech is trying to stop you from seeing this story. I think it was totally a Streisand effect scenario sure. where actually it was getting a lot of attention because of that. And then also I compare it to, again, in my general defense of social media, it's just like this was better than the alternative. Imagine no social media. Well, this story is getting zero attention because the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN would have never written about it. There would right. have never been a story it would have been to in the censor. Post, and then that would have been it. That would have been it. Yeah. So then post subscribers would have gotten it and that was it. Well, and and so let's take it broader than that, just that, that, that example. I think there is real evidence. We talked about it with, uh, with Google and YouTube. And, and going after climate denial content. Climate yeah. denial content likely means people like Michael Schellenberger, who is an, you know, an environmentalist activist who says it's just not catastrophic. It probably means Bjorn Lomborg. Right. It probably means me. It probably means you at right. some level. Right. Like that is not, you know, going after uh, dangerous content. It's going after content that one side of the aisle feels is important. The same thing with, you know, I don't know, you can go through all cultural issues, gender issues, all of these things. They do tend to make these errors and and censorship uh, decisions in one direction. And the right, I think, correctly sees this as a problem. With YouTube in particular, I've actually heard from a lot of lefties who their channels mm -hmm. get demonetized for various reasons. They actually have a, many of the same complaints you're expressing mm -hmm. right now. I have heard some of them. I think there's, it's, been in, it's been unidirectional, uh, maybe on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, but YouTube seems to have made some bad calls in the other direction as well. And also so do those platforms. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and these things are all bad and we should call them out. Um, it's, but it's still like YouTube has provided such powerful, su such a platform to people of, of alternative views. It's just on the whole, uh, it, it, you know, thousands of new hours of content that they don't approve or vet that like you can just put up. Right. It's kind of a kind of an amazing thing, right? You can go directly to massive audiences and then occasionally they, re they retaliate against you, they punish you, they do something bad, call it out. You know, if they do something fraudulent with you, maybe you can you can sue them. Um, the same thing with Facebook. But like I look at Facebook's 
top 10 pieces of content every day and it's often it's often right-wing stuff yeah it it's is all, yeah. It, it, like ben, ben shapiro, shapiro kills ben shapiro. it <laughs> dan bongino i don't know what he yeah. figured out some hack to yeah. their algorithm he's dan taking them for the all they've got yeah. it's crazy yeah so no. i just see that and i go and then i hear from people on the right they say there's this vast silencing occurring mm-hmm. of conservative speech and it just doesn't it doesn't quite match what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a better environment for conservative speech than I've ever seen in my life. You know, I, I think, uh, you know... Does that mean it's quote, all great? There are bad things. Yeah, yeah. To but, quote Ben Shapiro, two things can be true at once, right? right? And I yeah. think, like, overall, the Internet has been very empowering to the right. Yeah. And social media is obviously a huge part of that. But as these... I think, like, they... The, the conservative point would typically be, look, businesses get to make their own decisions. And honestly, that's where I, I am. Yeah. I'm much I'm more libertarian leaning than a, a lot, even in the audience right yeah. now. Yeah. I think that's changed a little bit over the past few years on the conservative side. Um, but like th- their point is that when these decisions happen, these giant companies that control so much of the information, um, it tends to always hit conservatives. I mean, yeah. and, it, you know, you build a company, you know, you, you, you know, we have people, Steven Crowder, who, who's a part of Blaze TV, mm-hmm. built a giant business on YouTube. And then they decided one day, ah, you know, you've said too many things we don't like. You no longer can make money on this channel. Now, luckily, Blaze TV exists, so he right. can still have a show and make sure his audience is there. But, like, you know, that, that is, it feels incredibly unfair. And I, I feel like that's what conservatives are pushing back on. It's not necessarily a fundamental, uh, I don't think they like the idea of, of, of regulating it is unfair. business. Sometimes it is unfair. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, you know, getting... So you could be... Steven Crowder or anyone else could just be an employee of a company, right? And do mm-hmm. and start saying things that the, the, the company disagrees with and sure. you could get fired. Mm-hmm. And it might be unfair and it might, it might suck. It might yeah, be really terrible. Sure. But, like, that is a reality that a lot of Americans <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. So YouTube people have kind of got it in their head that when it happens to them, it's the greatest injustice in their history of time. Yeah. But in general, you have more creative freedom on YouTube than just like the employee of a media company does, right? That's true. You know what I mean? But when you go through If I started saying a lot a business, of unlibertarian right? things or things that, you know, reason didn't like, they could fire, they could fire me. Yes. It's, it's more likely I would get fired than if in the same dynamic on YouTube. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do, I, I take that. I, th- I do think that when, particularly, you know, voices that are um, doing this as a business, Yeah. You know, at the very least, it should be an alert to every single person who decides to build their business on these on the backbone of these services that you don't you don't have a business. It's theirs. It's their business that you're participating in and you're really vulnerable uh, for your livelihood. Well, we're seeing alternatives. Some Mm -hmm. alternatives start to arise. I know there's there's various people. uh, Right. Dave Rubin is using a different kind of thing. There's advertisements for other things. Glenn Greenwald is using a different kind of thing. which is good. I encourage that. Uh, you know, Substack is this great alternative platform, not for video, yep. but for so so alternate platforms can arise, and that and that's a good thing. And we should support them. Well, we get the, a lot of pushback on this point because I say, look, you know, you can create your own. Yeah. I mean, there's other alternatives out there. People are creating them all the time, and people will bring up the Parler example, which is pretty compelling, right? It was really bad. They yep. they, they create really their bad. own their own Twitter like thing. Yep. It grows and it starts getting some attention. And then all of a sudden they just shut it down and Amazon pulls it from the servers. I mean, should, should there be something to stop that? They got a really raw deal. Maybe there should be. I, my only point on this is that when then conservatives raise the specter of, well, what about antitrust monopoly, et cetera? Sure. And I have to do a, like a little bit of a, like a 
technical legal lesson. There's the existing existing law does not cover this case. Mm -hmm. The theory of antitrust is harm to the consumer is they, yeah, they jack up your prices. This is interesting because people think like, OK, well, you screwed up the business. That's not how antitrust works. Right. The, the, the fact that one company retaliated against another company it's not it might, it might be bad and maybe maybe there should be some law to cover this case i'm not saying like the laws should never be updated sure. and, and there's no injustice here that is but but the if you have like what if you have the federal government investigate this or try to do something about this like let's get into the reality of this right mm -hmm. the progressive bureaucratic state will never care about conservatives grievances about big tech <laughs> they will never, <laughs> never do a mm -hmm. thing yeah. about censorship of conservatives and and it is a pretext always to punish these companies for just being too big and making too much money yeah that is all the elizabeth warrens of the world care about and or also for the opposite for allowing too much content mm -hmm. that's what they want to get after these companies for too much of your views on these platforms and they're going to punish them for having that yeah i keep coming back to uh you know my friends who disagree with me on this and, and i keep saying like you're never going to be happy with what the government or tech executives do to you right this is one of my reasons why i'm you know i'm, I'm excited about the, the the possibilities in blockchain yeah where like you can go around this stuff and absolutely i think it's a huge part of this equation that's much more going to be much more successful than trying to change laws in, in washington but i do want to get to the washington law thing this is a big thing and i'll tell you my journey on section 230 mm -hmm. I heard people like Ted Cruz talking about it. And, you know, I generally like Ted. I generally agree with his opinions on a lot of things. And he points out, like, look, it's the difference between these protections and there's the publisher versus uh, the uh, platform. Right. And in Section 230, you have to be neutral. And I listened to that, and he made a relatively compelling argument. I then, though, went and read Section 230. And by my reading, it doesn't do any of those things. No, it does it not actually does the opposite. It does the opposite. Right? That's the reality. Okay. It's the opposite. It, what Section 230 says is you don't have to be neutral, and you still get all the protection. Yeah. It stemmed from a very real... So the problem was, in the early days of the Internet, you know, you have horror appearing in forums. You have pornography and violence sure. and abuse. And everyone thinks some moderation needs to be done, mm -hmm. right? Even the most... Right. They should be lightly moderated. It agrees that some stuff has to go. Mm -hmm. But the platform that did that moderated some stuff, then they got at least they got sued. And the court said, well, you do some moderation. So you're like a publisher. They got sued for defamation. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're responsible for this the way the blaze would be responsible if someone who works for you gets sued. Reason, et cetera. And then the, so then the platforms were like, well, we can't do any moderation because we could get sued. We don't want that. We want them to do a little bit of moderation. So <laughs> that's what Section 230 is there to say you can cap. You can curate content. You can have some policies to make the place better. And you're not liable for content if you do that, which yeah. is a good thing. And it says it goes through a bunch of different things, you know, right. all sorts of offensive things. And it says or otherwise objectionable, right. which is a really broad, broad. reading. Now, I kind of read that as um, pretty much anything. I mean, it's almost yeah. like it almost gives them the right to moderate for any reason. And in some ways, I, I can understand that would be the premise here. Like if I started, um, you know, a... Uh, Pro website because um, I'm an Eagles fan, uh, unfortunately for me this year. And so we go through and I have a, I start a, a social network and where I want people posting about the Eagles, but I don't want any negative content on. There. Yeah, it's my freaking site. Yep. So I should be able to delete every pro Washington Redskins or Washington football team yep. comment uh, that is on there. Um, but when there's a there's a view of that as well that says because they list several other categories um, in in that uh, I don't have the language right in front of me at the moment, but you know it's things like you know, violence and pornography and all these other things that the otherwise objectionable should be generally speaking in those categories and they shouldn't be allowed to to edit based 
on the content of, of politics right. or something like that. Is there any validity to that? I mean, that's open to interpretation, but mm -hmm. I will say that the courts have gone have gone the earlier way you were mm -hmm. describing, that anything objectionable means just about anything. That's where the courts are in this. Now, look, Section 230 is not is not like a sacred thing. Right. I, or I don't. I consider the First Amendment sacred. Right. This Section is not 230 is too boring of a name we to could, be sacred. <laughs> <laughs> My point is we could change it if we really wanted to. Yeah. I'm not saying, I don't think it's unthinkable to do that, but I'm pretty worried that any of the changes would be worse for conservatives because if you subject any of these companies to additional liability, they're going to take down more content and they're going to take down more of your content because yeah. that's the content that they are scared of because they don't understand it because they're liberal. Right. So I, I, there's a little bit of a like, Step one, we change Section 230. Step three, profit. But like, what's the, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> isn't, isn't step two that they say, okay, you can only post now at will if you have a blue check mark. Like, right. That would make sense because blue check mark are people we trust. They're not going to say something defamatory that gets us sued. And so. then they'll hold back the blue check marks for conservatives. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it winds up. Because I mean, I, 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 I don't see a path. And I talk, you know, I have a lot of friends who are more on, you know, that sort of yeah. battle going on on the conservative side between like a rights based conservative and a right. common good conservative. You know, I, and I am on the rights based side of that. But I have a lot of friends who are on common good, the common good side of that, the smart people who are really trying to do their best for the country. But I keep thinking to myself, how on earth? Do these people that you watch in Washington every day, they make a bunch of changes to these rules in conjunction with big tech companies, and this works out in our favor. Like, yeah. I just don't see how that's possible. I literally don't see how this one is possible. <laughs> this one, honestly, changing 230 makes the least sense of any. Like, breaking up the companies yeah. is a, I'm against it on libertarian grounds. Mm -hmm. It's a very dramatic thing to do. But I guess you could maybe construct some kind of argument for how that would be beneficial. Yeah. Section 230, I Changing it, I, I truly don't see. Like, I, I would love for to sit down with Josh Hawley and have him, have him walk me through it. Right, right. I don't know what he's thinking because the immediate, obvious consequence would be less provocative speech online, less alternative, mm -hmm. contrarian, conservative speech online. That's the obvious consequence. Okay, give me, we have one more minute left here. Give me a minute on why Section 230 is actually good. It's, a, it's in a way a backbone of what yeah. the internet has become. Yep, it's, it, it says, it, it allows you to post at will, essentially. It says they don't have to review. Imagine if YouTube had to watch every video <laughs> that, had, that went up on the platform. That's thousands of hours of new videos every like, couple of seconds, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They can't do it. It's, so it's what allows the internet to function. Mm. It, it's, what allows, it, it's what allows all of our alternative content and shows and things to just to go up unsupervised on and then later you know maybe someone complains maybe something gets taken down and it's bad but imagine if they were doing all that kind of hyper partisan selective curating on the front end nothing would go live right. they would you would never get it past them <laughs> you'd never say anything conservative we're on the, glad on the... we live in, in yeah. more of a wild wild west environment where and then occasionally they <laughs> hang the sheriff hangs the wrong person it's bad <laughs> but it, we, it, it, it's back-end enforcement we don't want front-end enforcement which is what section 230 allows oh, all right really interesting stuff and i think it's important you know that we don't lose sight of making sure we understand and embrace the free market. It's a central part of what conservatism is, of what libertarianism is. And it's important that conservatives ha are fighting for it because if we're not fighting for it, nobody's fighting for it. Right. And that's, there's a bad outcome at the end of that. Robbie Suave, senior editor for Reason.com, author of the new book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook in the Future. It's available now. Go grab a copy today. Robbie, thanks so much. My pleasure.
trying to buy or sell a home in times like these, oh, what a fun, fun job. You need someone who knows the real estate market. You need someone who's going to come in and take charge. And I'm talking about knowing the details of what you, what repairs you should do, knowing where you should price your home, knowing when to trust a, a good offer. I, I had a, a really good offer on a house I was selling once, and it was above what I was asking, and I got really excited about it. And the real estate agent told me, eh, I, I, this will be great if it comes through, but I wouldn't get too excited. I think we should keep this other uh, offer in play as well. Guess what? First uh, higher offer fell through. We had the backup offer there. You need to have a good real estate agent to have stuff like that fall into your lap. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person wherever you are in the country. Realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're moving somewhere new, you're going to be buying something, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more info. Realestateagentsitrust.com. And now someone from Shark Tank calls Whoopi Goldberg fat. Um, they really are for everybody. They're great jeans. Yeah. Well, I have to try them. You have to. <laughs> they're really, they're really good. Will they fit this COVID? Yes. Okay. Yes, they will. <laughs> yeah, Just thought I would ask. They fit this COVID. <laughs> okay. Okay, if they fit three, no, two COVID butts, <laughs> we'll be fine. Yeah, she's, she's acting yeah, like she got some behind. And when you get finished with those jeans and decide you don't like them, give them to me, I'm going to make two pairs. Oh. All right. Oh, 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 Barbara. Okay, so now we don't like you. <laughs> 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 Let me just tell you something. Yeah. When Sarah Haynes and uh, Jill Biden wore that dress already on yeah. TV. That's yeah. not true. Uh, OK. That's a, so again, first of all, you watch the clip and it's made a lot of news. Uh, and a lot of, she's now apologizing for calling Whoopi fat. Number one, part of the joke is she's calling herself skinny. She's tiny. She's like 14 pounds. That's part of the joke. Number two, Whoopi Goldberg is a comedian. Whoopi Goldberg thought it would be funny to wear, to have her boyfriend at the time wear blackface and do a speech in blackface because she was so comfortable with uncomfortable humor. You're telling me she was really bothered by that joke? Oh, God. It, it, just this society is terrible in every single way at this point. I don't know. Let me uh, give you this other thing, too. This, this, I love this. Beckett Adams found this. A couple people who don't really understand the debates they're involved in. Uh, first of all, left-wing icon Ida Bay Wells says, Why do school choice advocates never advocate eliminating school district boundaries and funding schools by local property tax and allowing poor black students to attend white wealthy schools in neighboring municipalities? That is literally the best description of what school choice advocates argue for that I've ever heard. That is actually my position uh, right there, my position on school choice. And then this one from Julia Ioff at the same time. If you are anti-choice, that's pro-life for you and I, and you want to make sure women carry every pregnancy to term, why not make the person who created the pregnancy contribute? Why not have men pay child support to the women they impregnate? Yeah. That's exactly our policy, too. These people don't even know the policies of the opposition they're fighting against. Check out the show on YouTube and Facebook. You can comment below the show whenever you want. This one comes in. So talking about the trillion dollar coin yesterday. So if I don't have the money to pay my federal taxes, can I just make up some money and send it to them so it doesn't cost me anything? Sounds like a plausible version of modern economics. 
Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> All right. That's great. And also, you can review the show uh, on uh, wherever you get your podcast. Of course, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And that's kind of what the review says today. It's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. The appropriate number of stars. Sweet and simple. Thank you so much. And remember, when you review this podcast positively, uh, good things happen to us. But more importantly, bad things happen to others. And that's the most important thing. Um, Tesla is moving its headquarters to Texas. Now, it's moving it to Austin which is exactly probably the part of Texas that Elon Musk should be in because he's kind of a weird dude. And uh, Austin's weird, proudly. Uh, but they are moving there. You know, they, they talk about obviously the pandemic was part of this. He tweeted this initially in May of 2020. Um, and uh, the cost of a house where his uh, current um, factory is, is like $3 million, the average house. And in Austin, it's 588000 I think. Of course, that's even high for Texas. So, if you're watching this show, come to Texas. We'd love to have you. See you next week.